tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 107. Because we all want our kids to follow Jesus, it can be kind of scary when they start questioning their faith, especially if we don't know how to answer those questions or word it in a way that they could accept or understand. I'm so grateful for people like Mary Jo Sharp. She's an apologist and theology professor who's been willing to wrestle with the hard questions that, to be honest, often rock us all. Questions like, why is there so much evil in the world? And why does God allow suffering? And why, why are Christians so often less than Christ-like? This is really a great conversation, you guys. I hope you'll share it with a friend. It's such an honor to have Mary Jo Sharp in the living room. Welcome to the podcast, my new friend, because, oh my goodness, I love what you stand for and what you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Because I find your backstory really fascinating. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, So thank you for having me on. I appreciate that. Um, My backstory is a bit like I'm from the Pacific Northwest and um, it's, you know, I don't, I was gonna say it's a bit different because I don't have a Christian upbringing. uh, So I have more of an atheist upbringing. Um, And then I live in a part of the country that was more traditionally um, less religious, traditionally less religious. So we didn't have a church on every street corner and In my childhood, the way that people approached the faith was, you know, they kind of kept it to themselves for the most part, live and let live, you know, it's sort of true for you, but not for me sort of feel. Um, So I didn't have a lot of exposure to Christianity the way that I did when I uh, moved to the South. And so it was, it was a very different feel. Um, But what I was raised with was a lot of, you know, my parents were really they were really concerned, not concerned, but enjoying the the nature that we were in, in Oregon. And uh, my dad was a huge fan of, of science. And so he, we watched a lot of nature and science shows a lot. Um, and then my parents were very intentional about developing our artistic side as far as taking us to symphonies and orchestras and uh, the you know, jazz concerts and museums and <laughs> musicals. So I, and plays. Oh my gosh, my parents love Shakespearean plays. So a lot of that background, I think, was what started to develop in me bigger questions about life. You know, it's hard to watch a Shakespearean play without thinking about the meaning of life. Yes. <laughs> and I've, I've come to understand this as an adult. Like I wasn't thinking through this as much as a kid, but I was like, oh yeah, they exposed me to this. So, and then to, um, my dad watching a lot of Carl Sagan shows and thinking about this vast universe mm. on which we're just this pale blue dot, as he used to say, you know, so I started thinking, is this all there is? Um, is this it? You know, so where does my sense of good and evil come from? Um, I had a strong sense of right and wrong, just and unjust. And so I started having those questions um, as I got older, my teenage years, and, you know, was more able to think on those right. kinds of things and form those thoughts. And at that time, um, I had a, I was a musician. I had a high school band teacher who was a Christian who hadn't shared his faith before. And he was so burdened for me. And so he, he prayed about it. He felt burdened. He couldn't get rid of the burdening feeling. And so finally he took a step of faith and he just said, I, you know, Mary Jo, he gave me a Bible. And he said, when you go off to college, you're going to have hard questions. I hope you'll turn to this. And he prayed with me. And, um, 
just hit me at the right time in my life when I had the questions. Um, so I, and I respected him. I actually went on to get a music education degree. I wanted to teach like he did. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I just really started reading that Bible and it brought me to a point of thinking, I, this is, this is what's true. And I need to go off to and investigate it, which is kind of funny because we're worried about our kids going off to college and losing faith. And here I am going off to college and like, Hey, I can go to church for the first time you know, on my own. And, <laughs> and it was, so that's what I, you know, kind of did that. And then I found a church where I heard a clear explanation of the gospel. And that was the church at which I trusted in Jesus for salvation. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. I love you. Know, they go to college to lose faith and you went to college and found faith. I love how the Lord draws draws us and he kind of stirs that curiosity. I, and I think sometimes we forget that. We forget that God is at work in that person that uh, we've got a burden for. And we're so afraid to like put ourselves out there and share our faith, not understanding, no, he's, you might be the answer to the prayer that they've been unknowingly praying. So I love that story. Well, you went on to write a book, Why I Still Believe, a former atheist reckoning with the bad reputation Christians give a good God. And Oh my goodness. I, I'm a pastor's wife and I've been kind of having to look, look at the church, but also myself and just, just asking, are we giving God a bad reputation, especially as we're polarizing so much, even within the church? Are we really, are we representing who Jesus really is? Can you kind of give us a taste of that book? Because I think it's really I think we need to look at, are we really reflecting Jesus or even the real God, the God that he truly is? Yeah, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of things that go into that. In the in the book, I really tried to strike a balance between my sort of idealism and, and sort of a naive idealism that when I came into the church, I was going to find like the best people, right? They're all <laughs> going to be committed to transforming into Christ-likeness. I had no idea that church culture sometimes includes, you know, social clubs and cliques and things mm-hmm. like that because I just was an idealist. I didn't expect to find that in yeah. from what I was reading. Um, so I kind of packed up verses into my mental backpack uh, to bring into the church about like how we're supposed to greatly love one another and how our demonstrated love for one another would be a testimony yeah. to the world that Jesus is God's son, like the John 17 passages, bridling our tongues or our religion is worthless, you know, all that yeah, sort of there's stuff. there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, here, I'm really, especially since Paul writes so much of the New Testament, um, he's really, he really goes after that stuff. So that was kind of what I was expecting. And then coming into the church and seeing, um, if I were to say it very reductivist, um, finding that people are just people. Yeah even in the church, and that they have all the same people problems as everybody else in the world. Uh, I think that I was really disappointed. But at the same time, I started to see patterns of behaviors that looked very hypocritical. Um, so it wasn't just like, wow, well, people are people. If you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Right. Instead of all those sort of trite sayings, um, I think what was causing me the problems um, that I encountered, which caused me to doubt what I believed, was that I was having a hard time finding a general pattern of behaviors amongst Christians mm-hmm. that wasn't hypocritical 
to the um, the scriptures that they professed. And I'm not saying that they didn't mess up once or twice. Right. I'm talking about people whose lifestyles were antithetical to uh, the gospel, antithetical to the way we're supposed to be transforming into Christ, Christ-likeness. Right. Right. And then didn't seem concerned about that at all. But sure, could quote scripture right and left, mm. you know? <laughs> so that was the sort of thing that started to cause some doubt for me about what is it that I have done? How do I know this is true? Do any of these people really think it's true? Uh, mm. Is this just a nice thing to do on Sunday, right. <laughs> Wednesday? And, you know, I was wondering all these things about what what have I committed to? And why did I make that commitment? And so it was sort of the hypocrisy of believers that launched me into a time of serious doubt about the faith. So how did you navigate that? Because it really is hard. We know we're not supposed to look at people. We're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus. And yet we need Jesus with skin on, you know, and, but, but yet at that same time, I mean, you know, I, I remember going to Bible college and thinking, finally, I'm going to fit in. Like I was always the square peg and never fitting in. And I, I got to Bible college and I realized, Oh, there's different people with different values. And I think I might just be a square peg still. And it <laughs> does like kind of shake you, but at the same time, you know, it, it can undermine our faith or it can actually make us hungry for something genuine and real. How did how did that kind of unfold in your heart? Yeah, that's so I started looking for sort of the apologetic responses. I didn't know what apologetics was a field like. Why do we say that Jesus rose from the dead? Um, what's the historical quality of the Bible? I, I was looking at all these things for, you know, answers like. What is, is this real? (laughs) How do I know God exists? That was kind of the place where I started, started digging around in all those questions. But what that did, as I found answers to my questions, as I started to say, oh, I actually believe this is true. Uh, I think there is a God. I think Jesus died on the cross for our salvation 2000 years ago. Um, As I came to those realizations, there were some other things I I started to realize um, specifically about the church and the believers in the church, that the the passages where Paul's admonishing the church and you know giving these correctives and saying, look at all these things you're doing, they had all the same problems that I was encountering. You know, they're in the New Testament. Um, these are the people problems that I was talking about. And he's and he's telling them about, you know, Paul's warning people, James is warning people about how that damages our testimony, how that's not loving, how that's um you know, not helpful to the kingdom. And so those started to become very real to me. Um, And so reconciling this was, oh, yeah, um, we're all on this journey towards Christlikeness at different points and different places. And um, for me, I can't expect everybody to be where I'm at. So what I have to do is do what I know is good and true and beautiful. Uh, I have to be accountable for me. Because I, you know, that's the old saying, you can't change other people, but you can change yourself. So the way that I approach people now is, um, (laughs) I tell, so I'm going to be a little nerdy here, a little fandom nerdy. Um, I tell people it's more of like an Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars. (laughs) I I realize even the people I love the most are going to fail me in the worst ways. And that's okay. This is going to happen. Now, what do I do? Do I give up on 
my teachings? Do I give up on what I believe is true and good and, and beautiful, like I said, or do I adhere to that in spite of the things that are happening around me? So that's sort of how I reconciled it was um, just being more mature in my thinking about who's in the church and um, what and who people are. You know, what what does it mean to be human? It means to have a sin nature and these people are going to fail. Yeah. And, but they're going to do great works as well. So it's that balance, the holding intention um, between the good and the evil that is found in every human being that has helped me to come to where I am now. Right. Well, the thing I've just been praying is, Lord, would you, would you help us accurately reflect you? Because I think that, you know, it's so interesting how the enemy loves to work. You know, we're drawn to Jesus. We're excited about Jesus. And the enemy is like, oh, let's undermine everything that that God is trying to do in their heart. And And it's so interesting how when he starts that, it's like people seem to line up to support him. <laughs> you know, I've been working with a friend who went through some early abuse. And unfortunately, how it was responded to within the church and some of it by Christian people has yeah. so skewed who God is. She, she, she can't quite wrap her head around this God who actually loves her and isn't yeah. trying to shame her or blame her that there could actually be freedom, you know, that it's, that Christianity isn't just this list of do's and don'ts. It's this beautiful relationship. And, and I wonder how many of us really, if we really looked at who am I putting my faith in? Is it really the true Jesus or is, has there been a false idea of God been created by the bad behavior of others? And so I think it's important that maybe we're willing to almost like let God deconstruct our faith so it can be rebuilt on something true and solid. And I love your work because I think it really can help us do that. Like, Let's go back to what really matters, because unfortunately, we tend to connect the people of God with God. And if the people of God are shaming and blaming us or the people of God aren't loving us and accepting us, then um, then we feel that that that's God, how he thinks. And I've seen that. I wonder if that's not why we're seeing a lot of youth, um, young adults just even walk away from their faith, because maybe they haven't really met the real Jesus. You've done a lot of research on that and you've actually worked together with a team to create a new video series that I am so excited about. Would you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so um, we've created a series called Dark Room Faith and this is a 14 part Gen Z narrative driven apologetic video series. So um, what that means is that we actually uh, did like a casting call for Gen Z stories about what they are struggling with in the faith um, all across the U.S. And we got stories from all different kinds of students, uh, all different walks of life about, yeah, their faith questions. And, um, you you know, you're hitting it right on the head there with some of them are looking at the church and saying, "I, I don't know why I believe this because what I'm seeing in the church doesn't resonate. It's kind of like what I was doing where it doesn't add up, you know, to what 
they're teaching, they're teaching one thing, but then they're behaving in a different way. So do my leaders even believe it? And there's some distrust and disillusionment with students uh, and the church not portraying the great love of Jesus, you know? So um, we, we took their stories and we turned them into these uh, narrative style videos where it's, you meet a, a character who's based on a real story, a real person somewhere and their struggles. And then we partnered these, um, the stories that we were getting these questions with expert apologetic mm-hmm. thinkers who respond uh, but then we keep those responses within the narrative. So you're not seeing the apologist in the video. You're seeing somebody who makes sense in that storyline yeah. um, come into that character's life and, and discuss it or, you know, something that just pairs really nicely. So we stayed within a very uh, relatable aesthetic for students today. And it makes sense to them. And I, that's I, part of why I'm so excited about the series is it should look aesthetically familiar yeah. to them. And then it should um, help them with the the way that they're asking the questions. In fact, that was a little bit hard for me sometimes because we use their vernacular. Right. And sometimes I said, you know, I'm not Gen Z, I'm Gen X. And so I would say like, oh, I don't say it that way. Oh yeah, that's right. I don't. <laughs> they do though. <laughs> Uh, it is so well done. It is so well done. I mean, the video excellence, the the pace, it really, I mean, it just really draws you in. And I love that you kind of like you lay out the questions and, and you let the tension, you kind of let it lay there for a little bit rather than, oh no, here's the answer. Da, 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 da. It is yeah. that narrative style. And I love how each of the episodes kind of deals with a different topic, you know, doubt, love, church, sin science, religion, suffering, Bible, purpose, identity, justice, afterlife, mission, and the supernatural. I love that you don't just, you know, do the easy topics. You really go to the heart of the questions that um, young people are asking. If there was one theme that you think maybe ran through all of those questions or those struggles, um, what what was the theme of those? But also, where did the answers kind of lie? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, so, yeah, a theme. I am a strong believer that a lot of our problems go back to the um, understanding of the problem of evil and yeah. that we don't really teach students. Um, we don't really teach the church that much on what this historical philosophical and theological question has to do with our daily living and our understanding of the scripture and what Jesus did to answer that. Um, And so I think more teaching on the problem of evil, because a lot of the times the doubt is caused by, um, as you were mentioning earlier, a really bad experience in church. So if I were to like trace that back to what that is philosophically, it's the problem of evil. It's that people continue to do, um, what's not good and it's affecting everything. And so there's a lot of, a lot of the questions that students are asking are centered. Like if I were to break them down, they come or they find their grounding basically in the problem of evil. And then all of these outworkings into um, other areas. Now, of course, there's some other ones like faith and science. How do they go together? Right. And a lot of what we're finding another theme, big thing, theme is a lack of historical understanding of the church's contributions to knowledge, philosophy, theology, science. Uh, And there's a quite a lack of understanding how um, 
Christians over history have contributed to the education of mankind on a whole. So um, they don't know where to start with the science and faith question because the popular answers are very shallow um, uh, on both sides. (laughs) Like, doesn't matter if you're atheist. On all sides, actually. It doesn't matter what perspective you're coming from. The popular answers tend to be very lacking. But does everybody need a college degree in this or a seminary degree? No, but we should be more thoughtful about Mm. our historical knowledge of how Christians have contributed to the conversation on faith and reason and science and faith and how we've been very active promoters of education over time. And we've had our faults, definitely. Oh, (laughs) well, and that's the problem, though. And that's and that's what that's what the world throws up in our face. Look at, look at the inquisition, look at, you know, the crusades and that was all Christians and, and we forget the contributions. So it almost sounds like this would be a great series for every Christian to listen to, to help us articulate our faith, why we believe what we believe. But I want to circle back around to, um, to that whole problem of suffering, because I just wrote a book on trusting God. And I was like, I was like, Lord, I don't want to be that shallow cliche, just trust God. But, but I, there is a foundation for faith, but we're going to have to have a clear eyed look at the problem of evil. And you know what, Mary Jo, you're, you're the apologetic professional. You've got the answers. I, I think it's always so funny that apologetics is called apologetics <laughs> when it's like, no, it's a well-reasoned account. <laughs> it's answers rather than yeah. an apology. So I, I'd love it because I think there's even some of my listeners out there going, yeah, I, I think I'm struggling with that question as well. If God is good, why Am I going through what I'm going through? Could you, could you help us just a little bit? Yeah, this is so. Um, this question again is like the quintessential philosophical question of mankind. It's not just Christians that have struggled with answering this question. I mean, if you go back and you start studying the ancient philosophers, the Greeks, we're all struggling with this. And so there are different ways of responding to that. And um, anybody who is familiar with it will see how I respond to it. It's a, one of the ways. So um, yeah, I, I have come to understand through my own trying to uh, deal with this tension of the hypocrisy of believers and the suffering and the actual abuses that go on um, by leaders in the church. I've, through my struggles with that, I dug deeply into this issue. I even teach a class on the problem of evil. <laughs> how far we go with it. Um, but I have come to understand that what God made was good. You know, yeah. what he created us for was good. Um, and one of those good gifts that he gave us was a autonomy, a freedom. We can make real choices that have real consequence in this world. Uh, it's a reflection of God. It's being made in his image. And we don't have the same freedom, but we have a reflection of that. And so that means we can choose to do certain kinds of things. We can choose good, but we can also choose to not do good. And we have consistently chosen not to do good, not to listen to God. And when you, I mean, even if you go back to the original story of the Garden of Eden, you see um, where humans are reasoning that something other than what God told them is the best way to do things. And it leads to all sorts of problems, right? Leads to horrible problems. And it leads to false knowledge that we pass along. It leads to pain and suffering that we pass along. 
Um, the Bible talks about how the whole earth is groaning under the weight of the sin, uh, under this anticipation for Jesus to come back. So there's a, a, an interaction with everything in the world. And I think really trying to understand like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. I get that part. So, so now what? Well, God didn't leave it like that. Yes. There is an answer and it's a very unexpected answer in the history of religions, which is that God himself incarnated for the purpose of handling and, and taking the consequence of human evil. Uh, and that's what you see happening with Jesus on the cross. So I think sometimes we get a little too, um, a little too caught up in the, all the images of Easter without really thinking about what is actually going on at Easter. He is reversing the consequence of evil. He's where there's death, he's putting life back there. So life is good, right? Death is the is the consequence of sin. And we, we see that in Romans, the wages of sin is death. He's reversing that and putting back life, redeeming creation so that it's not on a path to destruction, but that he's inserted redemption back into this creation. Um, and that's, it's powerful. And uh, it's the only answer like that. So yes, it's very difficult to live in the experience of evil. Because what I just gave you was theoretical and and not just theoretical, but it's the theology, right? Right. It's what happened. Now, how does that apply when you are greatly suffering, right? That's hard to, um, to say, I trust in you, uh, even though I don't understand what's happening and this shouldn't happen and this is horrific and it's going to take me a long time um, to process what happened to me. Uh, so I don't want to just skip by that people greatly suffer um, and it's hard to deal with that. Um, but I do want them to see that God was not distant. God went to the cross to take the burdens of the abuse, the burdens of the uh, pain and suffering that we experience. He took that on. That's the uniqueness that's going on in Christianity. Um, and I, I don't even... Like a lot of times I don't even know how to fathom that, um, that gift, um, that he gave us because I can imagine somebody dying for me, like a, a guy going off to war to protect me. I can fathom that, but taking on the consequence of human evil, the wholeness of human evil, think of the sufferings that you personally have been through. Now think about that for billions of people, Mm. you know, Mm. over the course of human history. Um, yeah, I can't fathom that gift. It's uh, almost incomprehensible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to think that he not only paid the penalty for our sin, but he broke the power of that sin. Like he can turn it. I think that's the thing. Uh, My favorite name for Jesus is he's my redeemer. Like he redeems hell's worst. Because I think we forget we also have an enemy. Not only did our disobedience unleash evil, but we have an enemy and he hates God. And he knows that God loves us. We've got to kind of strip away all of the religion and get down to this beautiful redemptive story of what Jesus did. Like, this isn't heaven yet. We're going to have heaven one day. One day it's going to be perfect. But right here and right now, he wants to take all of our pain, all of the evil that's been done against us, and even the evil we've done. And he wants to break the power of that and reverse the curse and it is yeah. the good news. It's the good news of the gospel. And oh, yes. 
I love it. I love it. Well, I'd love to have you kind of tell us where people can find Darkroom Faith, but also just some ways that we can use it. Because I, I really believe this could be a powerful tool. Yeah. Okay. So you can go to darkroomfaith.com and you have access immediately to all of the videos. Um, but there's also a full curriculum online. So if you want access to that, you can um, enter in your email and then you get access to all of the curriculum, PowerPoints, social media shareables, all that stuff that goes along with it. And so you, obviously, once we say curriculum, curriculum, you can you go, oh, I can use this with a group. Yes. So we meant for it um, at one level to be used with um, student ministries um, by youth ministries, but it could be used in small groups. But we have parents who are using it one-on-one -on -one with their kids. So they use the video as just sort of a, like you said, it, it kind of leaves things in intention. And that was on purpose to give a student a hot second to think through their own view and where they're at um, before we just launch into picking it apart, right? We just want them to say, here's where I'm at. Here's what I think about this. And then when you go into the curriculum, there's a lot of resources for people, a lot of apologetics um, resources and Christian theologians and thinkers who um, you have, you know, will direct you to, or we've written from, you know, we've, we've sourced for you. And uh, so that's there for you to be able to engage the, your child or a student ministry at a deeper level. So you feel more equipped because a lot of Christian parents and uh, ministry people don't feel equipped Mm -hmm. on some of these really hard issues. Uh, okay. So that's all there at darkroomfaith.com for you to access and, you know, feel like you have more competence and confidence in discussing these issues. But yeah, definitely use them, uh, usable for family members, you know, with their own children to explore these questions, uh, youth ministries, student ministries of any kind, uh, and small group studies, just it's free. So we we made it that way. So you can just have access to it immediately and start getting those answers and those questions going. That is so exciting. Well, as a ministry woman and just someone who so wants us to be able to pass on a pure and undefiled religion, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot. Oh Lord, help us pass on the really true true gospel. I love this tool and usually I have my guests pray over us, but I would love to pray over you and over oh. this project because I really believe God wants to use it. And I, yes, I am emotional about this because there are so many kids out there who are searching. Never, never have we had such an information hungry generation than what we have right now. And so Lord Jesus, I just, I pray over Mary Jo. I pray over this curriculum over dark room faith, God, that you would help it find that you would cause it to be just dropped into the laps of teens and young adults who need it to those parents, those grandparents who are like, I see my kids struggling. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help. Uh, we, we feel like we've got answers, but they come out sounding so trite and so, so empty. But Lord Jesus, I thank you for this curriculum that's been created specifically to punch through the great divide that sometimes 
um, is in our world today and even among generations. And so I pray a blessing over Mary Jo, uh, over the company that's produced it. Lord, I pray for just a blessing financially. I know it could not have been inexpensive, and yet they are making it free, Lord. Would you just continue to bless this ministry and may it thrive? God, I'm, I'm asking for a million souls, a million souls that are directly impacted by this curriculum. And Lord, would you help us be a part that we wouldn't be afraid to even view it for ourselves so that we can come up with answers to the real questions that people are asking, that we wouldn't shy away from the hard questions. But we'd go to resources like this, but also go to you. Holy Spirit, would you help us strip away religion and all the shoulds and the don'ts and help us get down to the purity and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to learn more about Mary Jo and her books, as well as connect with her online, just scroll down on your podcast player to find links. And you'll also find the excellent resource that we've been talking about. Remember, you guys, Darkroom Faith is absolutely free. Whether you have a teenager in your life or not, I hope you'll check it out because I think that it might just help us answer the questions that often lurk in our minds. And if you're looking for more resources, I hope you'll check out my YouTube channel. If you search for Joanna Weaver, you'll find video versions of many of the podcasts, as well as short videos where I just try to answer some of the things people are typing into Google. Things like, how can I draw closer to God? How do I read the Bible and understand it? Or how do I hammer out forgiveness when forgiveness is hard? I hope you'll go over there and watch a few of the videos. And if you like them, you could hit that thumbs up button and leave a comment. You could even subscribe. Uh, I'd love to connect with you there. It's really a pleasure to share amazing guests here on The Living Room, as well as things that have helped me in my walk with God over at YouTube, because all of it is for one purpose, to help us be more like Jesus. Because you guys, I don't want to be the excuse people point to for walking away from God. As we press close to Him, as we choose to obey Him with the Holy Spirit's help, we start looking more like Jesus and less like the world. And there's nothing more attractive than a person who lives and loves and leads like Him. God bless you, my friend.